Hello, everybody. It's Kirk Henderson and Josh Bow coming to you for a Monday night, uh, October 26th edition of Mavs Moneyball After Dark. Josh, how are you? I am doing okay. Yeah, That's yeah. about as far as I can say. Yeah, you know, recording on a Monday is kind of a bummer because <laughs> you're just like looking ahead to the rest of the week. But, you know, Josh and I are on this kind of irregular schedule because we don't want to, you know... The folks who do the daily podcasts, I would be terrible at this because you got to make, you know, chicken salad out of chicken shit. And, you know, you and I kind of wait until there's enough to talk about. And then, you know, over the last couple of days, it seems that there's been enough stuff. Um, let's kind of, you know, pop right into it. I, I, I will say, you know, we're going to get to draft stuff eventually, but both of us are just not good at this. And so we don't want to talk about things we don't know about. <laughs> so, you know, the, the, the first stuff that I want to talk about is really like the, the things we published over the weekend. You know, Luka Doncic, uh, it was uh, news broke that he is going to get a specific colorway to the Air Jordan 35 to be called literally Luka. Uh, and and I, I, for one, am really you know, just sort of interested in sort of like the politics of what this means, because, you know, when he signed with Brand Jordan, which was December, you know, almost 10 months ago, uh, it, it was sort of an odd decision to me because I, I thought, you know, the path to Nike would have, you know, him standing out, you know, being sort of a, a high profile athlete, but that was also, you know, before he really had, had totally, truly blown up, he'd had a good couple of months of the season, but even I was still a little, you know, skeptical about what was, you know, going on with Lucas. So I thought the path to him, you know, being a megastar was essentially going to take like three to five years. And this is one of these things, you know, I know you're not a shoe guy, but it speaks to, <laughs> to, it speaks to sort of like cultural relevance and, and Luca getting his own colorway, you know, is pretty incredible to me. Do you have any like immediate reactions to it? Yeah, because like I said, I'm not a sneaker guy, but everyone told me that like when Luca signed in my head, I was like, oh, cool. So I'll be wearing or I can go buy Luca shoes next year or something. And everyone was like, oh, slow down. You know, they sign and they'll wear the brand shoes, but they won't really get their own shoe for a while. So the fact that he's already kind of I know it's not technically like his shoe, but the fact that he's already kind of getting a custom colorway of a of an Air Jordan. I don't know. That just. Maybe this is normal. I don't know, but that just seems pretty crazy in terms of you know perspective of what we got here with Luca. Just just seems pretty cool. I, I, pretty crazy is is accurate because okay. you know you said something a, a while ago because Luca it, it kind of went under the radar in the sense that we didn't talk about it a lot on our site just because I think we didn't want to make we didn't want to aggregate a cheap post and we're we're not above that now and again, um, but. Uh, Luca finished the season with the second best selling jersey in the league. And that to me, and I know to you as well, was sort of a mark of his popularity amongst what in my brain, because I, I work in politics, is sort of like a grassroots thing where, you know, it, it's not necessarily the discussion online, but you know, when the consumer makes a purchase, that has some value. And it seems to me that in both with what the NBA has to do with marketing, with what brand Jordan has to do with marketing, Luca is sort of butting himself into the conversation, you know, in, in a way that, that I feel like the NBA and basketball apparatus is not entirely ready for. Um, Because when, when Zion Williamson signed with Jordan in the summer, it really felt like they were going to make 
uh, Zion Williamson happen. And I love Zion, but the guy hasn't played 25 games yet. So it's a little, it's just a little premature. Whereas Luca has through his play established himself as a, as an MVP candidate in his second season. So it's to me, it's, it's, it's sort of fun because rare in our Mavericks fandom have, have we been on the, the really, you know, the, it's not, it's not often we've been able to say that, like, look, our guy is not getting the proper level of respect and he's getting the proper level of respect because he's getting his own shoe. People are buying his Jersey. He is a global superstar. And, and I believe that the NBA has a, has a ways to go to figure out how to make this all mesh because right now I, I still feel like he's a bit of an outsider looking in with the way that they want to sell their own sport. Does that make sense? Yes, I think it does. Uh, and I definitely feel like this is weird because we're used to Dirk who was obviously one of the greatest players of all time, but he still felt like ours, like, mm-hmm like our little indie rock band that no one's heard of, which is like ludicrous. It's Dirk. Like he's obviously <laughs> like, you know, it's not like no one heard of him, but like, you know, he, he wasn't, he wasn't on commercials, you know, he wasn't the leading, he wasn't a leading all-star vote getter, you know? So like, it's, it's different. We have to, I have to get used to Luca being popular. That's just something my brain has to accept because it hasn't had to accept that in all of my sports fandom. I don't think I've ever rooted for a team in my 31 years of existence that's had the you know like luke is going to be the best player in the league in like five years so i mean maybe next year yeah. like i, I don't want to it's so, hard to say this sort of stuff because he's just preposterous right and i've never rooted for a team that had the unquestioned you know best player face of the league on it before uh so it's just different uh and then you're right you know him being an international player is makes marketing and branding him you know much more difficult than if he was born in the states and went to you know maybe got some free publicity with aau and going to college and people being able to follow his career from like like they did with lebron you know people didn't really you know it was harder to find out about luca uh if you were just a casual fan you know the european leagues and stuff like that so yeah the nbs be ready because you know they got (laughs) they got lucky Giannis is in milwaukee and it's milwaukee like if if they were if the league was marketing Giannis the way they're marketing him now, and he was in, you know, New York or or Miami or just any other bigger, larger NBA market, Chicago or something like, and he still kind of got this general uh, branding that he's got right now. That in terms of the league promoting him, like that would be a disaster. So they they need to be ready with Luca because he's rapidly approaching becoming the face of of their league. Which is, 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 should be something that we should sort of lean into because it's, it's yeah. really fun. It's, it's very odd. And, and I keep sort of circling back to that in the discussions that I have with people and that like having this guy at this, we're just not likely to experience this as fans like ever again. So it's, it's something we should, should sort of lean into. And, you know, speaking of that, I, I asked you, you know, you and I both play video games, but I think both of us shy away from sports simulations just because we cover the sport enough. We don't need to know, like, we don't need to play it. I, I, I appreciate people who do because it's really like, it's a lot, but you know, Luca um, came out in uh, the reports are, I mean, it's not even a report. It's 2k has essentially told us 
that when the season starts, Luka Doncic will be a 94 overall. Now, for those of us who don't play games, I would say that that he's going to be a top five or six guy in the game. And just reading a, you know about it was really funny to me because the people who play these games, it's it's they get so upset. And it was just outstanding reading some of the replies to 2K because it, it's just like what we've talked about. He is really good. And I don't know if enough people that, that are very into basketball, like basketball is a sport that people get very into but don't seem to watch a ton of. He Luca is the guy. Like this is not really much of a question for me. There's things he has to improve, of course, but it's great. You know, like reading the fan or or you really the the hater reaction to this sort of thing because it's it's very funny. Yeah, uh, we all were wondering like when he would become the villain, like last year, and it's mm-hmm. like happened. <laughs> like, yeah, because he's gotten so good so fast. I mean, any player that gets that good, you're gonna get. You're going to get the good and you're going to get the bad with it. So I guess that's not too entirely unexpected. And then when you consider he's a foreign player that, that a lot of fans didn't get to watch growing up, they think that's strange and different for whatever litany of reasons that we don't have to get into right now. But uh, yeah, uh, but yeah, it's cool. And it's like, you know, it's another one of those things like Dirk. Uh, when I played 2K and Dirk was in his prime, you know, I don't think Dirk was ever, I don't remember if Dirk was ever this good. Uh, and 2K wasn't really as popular back in like 04, 05, 06, 07. Uh, I played, I played NBA live back then for, uh, which doesn't exist anymore right now. Um, and I don't remember how good Dirk is. I don't know if Dirk ever got that high of a rating in a basketball video game before he might've gotten, he might've topped out at like a low nineties, but that's a, just another thing I'm going to have to accept. Like he's good. I'm going to see a lot of people wearing his jerseys. Like a lot of kids grew up in the last five years wearing Steph Curry jerseys. Like it's something I'm going to have to get used to. It's it's odd, but it's cool. Uh, it's a new thing and, and I'll just run with it. Like you kind of said, we got to lean into it. Yep. Yeah, yep. Yeah. Well, the, the last thing that we need to talk about, which I've led the podcast in terms of, you know, the advertising about it with is it seems, you know, according to, to Adrian Wojnarowski, Zach Lowe, Tim McMahon, Ryan Windhorst, you know, kind of the heavy hitters in basketball is it seems that the likelihood that the NBA makes its return within the calendar year is, is high. It's not assured because there's a lot that the league and the players union has to work out between now and then, but it seems that a, a pre-Christmas start date, like probably the 21st, 22nd, something like that is possible. And it caught Josh and I a little bit unawares. You know, we're just trying to make it to the NBA draft, which is November 18th. And then we were trying to make it to free agency, which was going to be, you know, sometime after that. You know, we were sort of expecting, you know, Martin Luther King, maybe, you know, Valentine's Day, start day. We knew the NBA was coming back, but it was very, very precarious as to far as when. And it seems that the financials with what's involved between obligations to the local local regional sports networks uh, paired with you know, the, the national sports uh, revenue, you know, the stuff that comes in, it's very, it's apparently very important if the league doesn't want to experience a big time revenue shortfall, which would mean decreased um, salary cap 
uh, amongst other things, that the league may have to start sooner rather than later and really attempt to play a full 70 games. And, you know, we have a roundtable that's up today on it. I don't want to speak for Josh. You know, my feelings are just like I'm like personally not ready. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, I'm just like not like physically ready for the grind of the season. And, and it means, you know, there's just a lot going on with that. And so, like, that very much is in my head. But, you know, I'm going to stop rambling for a second. What are uh, what are your thoughts? Uh, I guess personally, you know, I kind of echo you in terms of, like, game starting back up around Christmas. Uh, just seems really fast. Thankfully, like, in my real my real life job that actually pays the bills, our busy season ends, like, December 15th or so. So I'll actually... I will be coming in at the buzzer in terms of having like my life ready to handle a season. So that's pivot, pivot to a different kind of busy. Yes. Um, But I, I kind of like, honestly with the way things are going, like they might as well just play as, as soon as they can, as long as they can figure out the plan and they can figure out the financials and figure out the CBA stuff. Cause like initially I think, you know, what me and you have read and what a lot of other people read was they were going to try to wait till February and possibly even March. Cause it's obvious, you know, they're not going to do another bubble again. It's just not feasible. Uh, right. Uh, so if they're not going to do a bubble, then they wanted to wait until as long as possible to get, you know, as many fans as they could get back into the building. Um, because I, I mean, I don't know if this, I mean, obviously it's a financial part of it, but me personally, like, I'm so glad, you know, there was bubble basketball and like they pulled it off and, and it worked and all that stuff. But once the Mavericks got eliminated from the playoffs, my interest decreased drastically because sure. It's just not the same, like just playing basketball in an empty gym. And I'm like, I'm really grateful that the guy, everyone was healthy and that, you know, obviously these guys were playing at like 100% peak performance because there was no travel. You know, they they all stayed in the same building. They shot in the same gym every day. They didn't have, there's no fans, but there was just a very like eerie practice preseason feel to some of the games that just turned me off. Like I just need, I need an arena like yelling at James Harden uh, with five minutes left to go in a close game. Like I just need that for my soul. Uh, It's just part of the entertainment package for me. So I get it. Like the NBA wanted to wait, but like at this point, like you just, you just got to be realistic and like what is going to be different in March and April about the state of the world. That's going to be drastically different in December the 25th like you know i think everyone can be real that that it's probably we're probably going to be in about the same situation we're right now so granted why wait you know why wait and still be in the same situation you might as well try to play uh, as safely as you can get this season through and then hopefully you have a somewhat normal off season and uh you could start 2021 2022 you know in late october like normal and then try to get back on track with the new normal uh, as best you can. So that's kind of my thought on it. Like there's no point in waiting. The one thing that's weird though, I'll, I'll kick it to you for your thoughts, but I didn't think about this at the time, but the draft stuff is going to be weird, right? Like starting yeah. an NBA season one month after the NBA draft. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah. that that's, that's something we should likely, you know, discuss with one of our various draft necks, but it really lays credence to the concept of drafting a player who is more NBA ready. If, if the draft is, is something that, that we're interested in as a franchise, which has always <laughs> remained to be seen. Um, I, I, I will say that, that I feel confident in the NBA's ability to plan something. I was very confident before the bubble 
and leaving the bubble, I, I, I believe that the NBA will have proper protocols in place to where they might be able to play basketball. But the concept of doing 70 games between, you know, roughly mid-December and like mid-July, which is kind of what they were going for. It, I saw some people talking about the math today. It's essentially a game every other day. And that is what the NBA had strove so hard to get away from. You know, you back up the start date from, you know, uh, November 2nd or 3rd to, uh, you know, October 15th. You do really hard to get rid of back to backs. And it's going to be it's going to be difficult. Now, Brian Windhorst and and, uh, the, the crew on the Hoop Collective today made the point that it's also likely to be easier to schedule things than it will ever, ever be again in the future. Because if the NBA is doing these sorts of things, they're not necessarily going to have to worry about concerts and other sports and things like that for arena dates, which really factor into like setting up games, which is something I just don't ever think about. But it, it sounds like there's at least a little bit of an opportunity for there to be, you know, uh, in a rough situation for them to get like prime real estate, which is kind of interesting to me now for, for Dallas Mavs fans in particular, I, I am concerned about this because, you know, the Mavericks did the thing and, you know, this is just me talking out of my ass here. Nobody, you know, nobody kill me on this, but I feel pretty confident in saying the Mavericks did not give, uh, Chris Tapps Porzingis the surgery that he required as quickly as he required it because he didn't want it. And now the Mavericks are going to head into the season. It's going to take, you know, the the recovery time for for a a torn meniscus and a surgery is roughly two months. And, you know, you would have liked to have for him to have as much time as possible. So how do we feel about, you know, the Mavericks just as they are, not even thinking about trades, nothing like that. How do we feel about the Mavericks uh, uh, you know, dealing with something like this is is their youth a positive? Is there or is their injury stuff kind of more concerning with how the league might might you know lay this out there? Understanding we don't know very much right now. Yeah, yeah, I'm very bad about that stuff. So like, I have no idea how ready or ready or not ready Kristaps would be by the end of December. Um, and then another concern is you know Dwight Powell with the Achilles injury. How ready is he going to be? Um. Uh, I'm just not not sure. Like you know, Wes Matthews came. I think he got injured in, in the year he hurt his Achilles. I think he got injured in February or March, and he started the, the next season in October. But but what, as we all know, Wes Matthews is kind of a madman. So we'll see. You know, Dwight hurt his late January. So in terms of precedent, there's precedent for for a player to return that fast from Achilles. But how you know how ready is he going to be? And then short training camp, all that kind of stuff, right? Uh, otherwise, you know, those are the only two, you know, the idea of Luca playing every other night scares me with, uh, how quickly he's starting to pile up like the bumps and bruises throughout a season that he endures just from his style of play and how, you know, he's a very physical player in terms of getting to the rim and he, you know, he'll mix it up and on the boards. So that's something I'll, you know, they'll be thinking about. Uh, and then another, you know, another thing is. They need to make sure if, you know, Dwight and KP are not going to be ready from the, from the outset, you know, they need guys, they'll, they'll need bodies and they've got, you know, as we saw in the playoffs, obviously regular season basketball is different than playoff basketball, but you know, in the playoffs, DeLon Wright and Justin Jackson weren't really a a part of this thing. So they just got to make sure that whatever they do this off season, that they just, 
have enough bodies uh, yeah. if, if they know that Kristaps is going to be limited and if they know Dwight's going to be limited and they know Luca with a every other day schedule might that might be tough for him like they just hopefully they'll just be prepared they just can't have they can't have a roster with you know people that are getting paid eight nine million dollars not playing a lot you know what I mean yeah. like so that's that's my I guess those are my concerns but otherwise you know you know, Maxi seems like a thoroughbred in terms of his his condition. Like, I don't have right. any problems about that. And and Dorian Finney-Smith is a freaking Iron Man, so uh, I'm not worried about those guys. But we'll we'll see. Uh, uh, I'm not sure. I'm really bad at I'm really bad at predicting like the health. No, it's okay. It's okay. I think it's okay because here's <laughs> the deal. You know, you and I have been talking about like, well, how are we going to keep doing this podcast and how are we going to keep, you know, how are we going to like dole out content on MavsMoneyBall.com? And the answer seems to have been figured out for us. If the NBA is going to start in two months and that we will have a lot of stuff moved up relatively quickly. So we're just going to have to, you know, the, some of these things we're just going to be thinking about and talking about more um, right after a quick commercial break. I took some questions on Twitter today and I actually got some really good ones for the podcast. Josh, I don't know if he has any idea about this. So we Uh-oh. will, uh, we will see uh, what uh, what the internet has to ask us. We will be back in just a few minutes. Thanks for waiting for a, a quick commercial break. This is Kirk Henderson and Josh Bow on Mavs Moneyball After Dark. You know, we got about uh, 20 minutes left of recording time, and I wanted to take some of these questions that we got from Twitter, and I really got to say, you know, for for some of the things that are discussed on Mavs social media really make me laugh. And I'm going to start with this one because it's from a friend of the show at James D. Grambo on Twitter. Uh, he asks a, a really hilarious question that was flowing through the social media sphere. Is Chris Tapp's Porzingis a center? Josh, what do you think? Yes. <laughs> right? Is this a trick question? What's going on? He's a center. I like it. I love the question <laughs> because what it's actually to me, what the question is is what kind of basketball does Dallas want to play? Yes. And I think, you know, I don't think he's gonna play a ton of center. I've really waffled back on this because the wear and tear and the, uh, I don't know if they're ever going to be able to figure out how to get him to not run down the lane, like a drunk baby deer. Uh, You know, unless he's willing to take the technical foul from swinging on the rim and landing like a normal person instead of like late era to T-Mac, you know, I'm a little worried about his, his body long-term. So I think the answer is that, yes, he is a center, but the Mavericks are also going to probably play 15 minutes a game with another center on the floor with him. Yeah, and I don't think, you know, the Powell-KP duo, like that is a – I think they're flexible enough that that can be a regular season thing. Like they played until Powell got hurt. They were a very successful team with those two guys starting. And obviously the questions are playoffs. So hopefully the, it's kind of like the Draymond Green did center when the Warriors were at their full power. Like Mm -hmm. they don't need to play that all regular season. They just, you know, they, you know, that'd be, that'd be kind of crazy for, for Draymond to play center all season. So you don't need to, you can still get by being a winning team with the other lineup. And then when the playoffs happen, that's a switch you can flip and they've got enough data and enough experience since Dwight got hurt that it works and they know how to play that way that I think it, that's probably the way they're going to go. Now, the thing that they have to do is if they're 
gonna play another big next to KP, and they're and it's you know likely gonna be Dwight unless they make some crazy move. But if they're gonna play another like a rim runner next to KP, they gotta find a way to bridge the gap between how KP played when Dwight got hurt and when Dwight is healthy because. As good as the Mavericks were with uh, KP and Dwight in the lineup, you know, KP, that was his worst stretch of the season. And obviously there's other factors like it was earlier in the season and, you know, he's still getting used to the new team role uh, and, you know, getting back onto the court after 20 months. So there's all that, all that, all those cavets, but um, he, they played a different style with him. Like he didn't touch the ball a lot. He only got, he only touched the ball when he was shooting. He was mostly a spot up guy. Uh, he didn't set a lot of screens. You know, he's basically like a glorified shooting guard, like a seven-three shooting guard. So, sure. uh, my my request would be obviously with Powell or another rim runner in the lineup in the regular season, you're obviously going to have that big set some screens. Just just mix in KP a little bit more and maybe blend the the post Dwight and pre Dwight injury styles together, so that you know you're just maximizing KP whenever he's on the floor. I like it. I, I, I think that's probably the best answer because having him in fits and starts, you know, I think to game six of the NBA finals, my wife and I, we weren't going to watch it. And I did this a lot with the finals where I'm like, I'm not going to watch it. And then I watched like most of it. Game six, the Lakers just blew the heat off the floor. And the difference was they finally played Anthony Davis at center. They didn't do the Dwight Howard thing. And Mary asked, you know, why don't they just do this all the time? Well, the answer is I don't think they're physically able to do it all the time. You know, Anthony Davis is made out of paper mache, and frankly, parts of Dwight ha- or uh, 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 Chris Tapps Porzingis are as well. So it, it's it's the thought of maybe if you're using a a weapon in a limited way, uh, it becomes a little more effective because it's harder to guard against. And I think that's that's part of what the Mavericks will be able to do. So I think the answer is yes, he is a center, but they will play him all over the floor. Uh, as as they're looking to create mismatch opportunities. So that's that's sort of where I settle on this. Mm-hmm. Um, the next question that we have is from at PandaHank4141. Uh, if you're looking to follow him, he makes some great YouTube videos, some really crazy content that I've enjoyed watching over the years. He asked for a prediction on Luca's three-point percentage and free throw percentage next season. Now, to give you uh, a little bit of a backing before you answer this, in 2019-20, he shot... Uh, 75.8% from the line and 31.6 from three. Hmm. Hard. I'm going to say he, I'm going to say he gets up to, I'm going to be conservative and say 78% on free throws. And then man, I'm so pessimistic about his three point shot right now in terms of his percentages. Like I'll say 34 and I think I'm that's man that is being extremely generous. And I would not be surprised if he's like 32, 33, 31 again, like in that sure. Range. Sure. I, I, I think so. The free throw thing is a little easier. If you go look at his breakdown by quarter, he shot progressively worse with each quarter. And I believe if he is to get up into the 78 to like 82% range, he's going to have to continue to get himself in better cardiovascular shape. I believe he can do it over the course of his career. I'm not sure if there's really going to be the the opportunity for him to do that because they've been sort of on pseudo vacation right now. And I I assume a lot of players are really expecting a longer break. Uh, I do think the free throws are probably easier than the three pointers. 
the three-pointer to me really revolves around volume. He shot a lot more. He shot 1.8 more threes per game uh, in similar minutes between 2018-19 and 2019-20. So I believe that the the path to him getting his three-point percentage up is him taking less terrible shots at the end of shot clocks. Uh, you know, he doesn't need to take nine threes a game, 8.9, whatever the total is. If, if he's taken six and a half uh, or, you know, even 7.5, something like that, then I believe he can get his percentage up because he's taking better shots. I'd be happy if he's taken 33%. I mean, the man shoots so many that at a certain point, it's kind of, you know, it is what it is. So that's that's kind of my thoughts on the three-point shooting. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I think... Hey, I mean, we the 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 thing we got to watch is you know is he gonna cut out the uh, the really bad ones in clutch time in the Mavericks offense? Like I feel like Lucas three point percentage and then the Mavericks poor clutch offense; those are two problems that probably solve like each other. Like when one is solved, the other will be solved as well. So I think we'll see if that's got to be a focus. If there's one thing like he wasn't a terrible, like he was an okay finisher at the rim last year, and it's obvious like that's what his offseason work, a lot of his offseason work went into because he was just like he turned into LeBron at the rim overnight, basically. Right. So I think I have confidence in him. If he if he wants to make the three-point shot like his thing to fix, then it's I think he's very Dirk-like in that quality. And like, okay, that that's that'll be the thing he fixes. Yeah, I'm just I'm attached to the cardiovascular stuff because yep. it just seems to be such a big part of playing night in and night out. Uh, two more questions. I actually have a lot of questions, but, you know, we're going to go with these two. We have uh, at Marcos Levy, PTY, who is uh, another uh, wonderful one of our followers on Twitter, asks, does having a heliocentric offense with Luca worry you or make you think that with the right moves they can win with this type of offense? It's a really good question. So what's your what do you think? Oh boy, that's like the question, isn't it? Like, <laughs> like if we're talking about how the Mavericks are going to get to a championship. Um, I think, man, I don't know how to phrase this. I think during the non-clutch minutes, I think the Mavericks had a good enough balance between Luka doing everything and then kind of being a democratic offense, so to speak. You know, they weren't as bad as much as Luke had touched the ball and, and was involved in everything, they didn't reach Rockets levels of isolation, you know, kind of stuff. Uh, you right. know, they still ran a lot of a ton of pick and rolls, and you know, there's a lot of off ball movement, a lot of cutting, and the Mavericks have very good off ball movers uh, and stuff like that. So, I'm I, I'm not concerned deeply that they're going to all of a sudden turn into the Rockets, although that's what their clutch offense turned into. It was four guys standing watching Luka. So they got to be careful of that. But the other thing is if they want to play, I think I I said this in our Slack or something, but if they want to not play this style that they played last year where Luka is the fulcrum, everything flows through him and he does everything for everyone, they have to get better players. Uh, yeah. you can't if you want to run an offense where other guys are doing stuff you got to get guys that are good at doing that stuff uh you know <laughs> I, I mean i'm just like if we if we take the playoffs for example like you know do people want maxi kleba post-ups or do they want dorian finney smith pick and rolls like 
you got if you want to you know if you want other guys to run some offense and let Luca play off ball a little bit more, they got to get players that they feel are talented and good enough to to handle that. And I think they tried a little bit with Delon Wright, and that failed. So they need to they need to keep trying because that's obviously an area that they need. I don't think it's sustainable on Luca for him to be a like thirty five plus usage kind of guy or almost getting to forty in the playoffs. Like I don't think that's gonna work. It, could, it, it the only way it works to me is if Kristaps Porzingis becomes a top like eight player or top five player in the league. Uh, otherwise you got to have a couple more guys that can do some stuff. Uh, and the Mavericks by design, like they built the team that they have right now to, to do what they did. You know, they got a lot of standstill spot up shooters. They got a lot of guys that don't need to touch the ball a lot to be effective. They got a lot of guys that won't let the ball stick. Like, uh, you know, we ragged during Finney Smith's offensive game outside of the threes, you know, when he dribbles and stuff, but you know, Lord, he is such a unselfish player in terms of making sure the ball doesn't stick. Like, you know, that was why I was pleading for the Mavericks to move away from the Barnes with West Matthews era and play Finney Smith more just for that reason. So that's good that they have those kind of guys, but they need two or three more guys that when the shot clock's running down, they can do something effective. Uh, and I think th- that those roster improvements will help the style play uh, if the Mavericks want to do that. Now, hey, I mean, I don't. The hard question is, what if Luke is like, well, this is how I like to play. Right. That, that's the question I don't have the answer to. I mean, I could. I, my thought is that if we're talking about heliocentric in the sense of of you know what Russell Westbrook did during his MVP season, what Luca did last season, and then the playoffs, I'm not super into it. But are are we talking about getting Luca's usage rate down to like 32 percent in the playoffs from? 37 percent which was preposterous i think the answer seems to be that i think that's fair i think that's fair to want for but when the mavericks are playing four undrafted guys in a nba playoff game at a certain point luca becomes the guy who has the ball the the you know i know our fan base loves some of these players loves jalen brunson loves seth curry but the fact of the matter is it is just unlikely that these guys are going to be on the roster if the Mavericks ever are going to be a team that is like a perennial Western Conference final contender. They're just not. I'm sorry. Not because they're bad, but because time passes. You know, you're not having a 31-year-old Maxi Kleba on this team. They're just it's it's not a thing that's going to happen. You know, the, the fact that all three of those guys, uh, uh, you know, Kleba, Seth, and and Dorian Finney-Smith, their their salaries all expire, I think, the same year. You know, I don't think the Mavericks make any trades this offseason, but you can bet your bottom dollar that all those guys and Tim Hardaway are going to be involved in potential trade talks heading right up to the trade deadline this season, if not heading into next season, they're not as valuable as Mavs fans think. And it's important to sell high if you believe you can improve your team. Now, whether you can improve your team is really kind of the question that I'm sure that all sorts of NBA GMs are rattling around with. That actually leads us right into the final question of the night. We have uh, at Kenny underscore 817 asks a, a very fun question for me. Is is the title or bust? Is it title or bust for the Mavericks in the next X years? Three, four, five. I'm just going to answer this one before I punch you. And I'm going to yep. say that you, we Mavericks fans have probably 
four years for the Mavericks to make it to the Western Conference Finals. Uh, the if you assume that that Luca, this is his second year, he has two more years under his rookie year, can sign an extension, which will be for all the money in the world because he he qualifies under the Rose Rule because he made the NBA all all NBA team in his second year. He's going to get a huge extension. He probably has until you know without about a year and a half remaining uh, for for him to take a similar path that a lot of other NBA superstars have taken where he's like making noise. If that's the thing that he wants, that's roughly four and a half years from now. If that's what we're talking about now, that's being, being very cut and dry, uh, very simplistic, but I think that's also probably a reasonable path. You know, the, the Mavericks are going to be a potential NBA finals team with Luka Doncic on the roster. When you have an MVP player, that is the way it goes. Um, I'm not sure what their kind of lengthy window is, but this is why Josh and I have been talking about mixing and matching. Um, uh, there's also the bigger picture question that I think our fans are going to have to get used to is that Luca is not Dirk. Um, and, and I don't want him to be Dirk. And I think that means, you know, we're never going to know Luca like we knew Dirk. That's, that's the other thing. So, you know, what do you think? So if we use history and we use what happened the last time the Mavericks were in this position when Dirk Nowitzki was a rising MVP candidate and the 2001 Mavericks made their first playoff series uh, since 1990. Uh, Good Lord. (laughs) I just keep forgetting about the 90s. Um, They made, let's see, they made the playoffs in 2001. They won a playoff series. Um. Man, it's kind of funny. They actually, when they first made the playoffs with Dirk, I didn't think about this. They won, like, they didn't lose a playoff. Like, they won a playoff series in each of their playoffs uh, up until uh, 03 04, which is kind of impressive when you consider yeah. you know, where that team was. All right. Anyway, I'm getting sidetracked. But basically, they made the play, <laughs> their first playoff appearance was two, 2001. They made the finals in 06. So I don't. I don't want to say like it's got to follow the same path, but if you generally look at that's not a rarity among these teams that get, you know, MVP that draft MVP caliber players. Uh, If, you know, it's, it's about four to five years. If you cannot get to a finals, if you cannot get to a Western conference finals, or I guess a conference finals within four to five years, that's your wheel spinning at that point. Aren't you? If you've got a top, five top 10 player an MVP candidate on your roster. So I know that progression is not always linear and I know that things cannot be guaranteed. You know, look at the Oklahoma city thunder for, for God's sakes, in terms of where we thought they were going to be and, and where they ended up before Kevin Durant left. But that's the thing. Like uh, I would say, if you're not, if you're not in an NBA finals in the next five years with Luca, who's going to be finish probably top two, top three in MVP voting next year. Like, and he's going to finish top two probably for the next, you know, eight years. Uh, Then that's, that's a problem. Like, you know, you just got to look at history, right? Like that's all we can do uh, because we have no idea. We cannot predict the future. Uh, We have no idea what's in Luca's head. We we know that he's very competitive player, obviously. So um, he wants to win. He's won at every level. Like uh, he's not used to sustained losing. Uh, at his young age. So that would be my safe bet. Like they should probably be in the finals within the next four to five years. If they want to keep things 
happy and positive <laughs> before yeah. things get dark. That's probably my favorite, uh, uh, like underscored, not talked about thing when, you know, on our social media and, and out in the world as we, as Mavs fans discuss things. Luca was really intense on in his final quotes uh, after the Mavericks lost in six, where I don't remember the specifics of what he said, but I remember walking away reading that thinking, this guy expects more. Now, more could mean a lot of things, meaning more from himself, more from yep. his teammates, more from the Mavericks. It's likely some combination of all three. But I think, you know, that that really stands to reason that he expects Dallas to do more. And that is is just going to be interesting because he, he has a lot of leverage. I don't he as far as I, uh, you know, we've read the things we know. He doesn't seem to be a meddlesome guy with the front office yet uh, uh nba players just sort of have that power it'd be interesting to see if he ever has preferences for the kind of guys he could play with so you know there's a lot there's a lot that we could uh we could lean in on on this and you know as we talked about earlier in the podcast it seems like we're going to have the opportunity to you know sooner rather than later as opposed to waiting until 2021 so you know this is this has been fun i'm, I'm glad we, we we got together and talked about this i think i'm going to reach out to some of the draft nerds that I know, I, I believe, you know, we would like to have some of our draft folks on and maybe discuss some of the players that they're super into uh, for the Mavericks because the, the draft is in less than three-ish weeks. So, you know, <laughs> we have a lot of stuff coming. Um, it's 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 a little hard to be excited day-to-day just because, you know, life broadly stinks right now. But <laughs> we're going to try to lean in on the Mavs stuff because the Mavs are at least fun, right? Oh yeah, they're fun. This is this is quite the turnaround from when we were doing these podcasts two, three years ago. So this is fun. This is great. Well, God, thanks for joining us, everybody. This has been Josh and Kirk on Mavs Moneyball After Dark, and we will talk to you soon.